Well, did you manage to get away on holiday this year? And if you did, did you escape to the sun or did you stay local? Because if you stayed local, being one of those people, there was not much sun about in the month of July up in Port Russia anyway. And if you go away, do you like to lie on the beach or are you someone who likes to see around you a bit and see what's going on? It might seem strange to know this, but there is a holiday that is mentioned in the Bible, and we've read about it today here in Acts 17. We have been spending time in our church here in Connor over the last number of months looking together at the book of Acts, and it tells the story of the continuing work of Jesus. So even though at this point Jesus has risen from the dead, he's returned to be with his Father in heaven, the amazing thing is he continues to work in his church by the Spirit that he promised, the Holy Spirit who comes into the lives of those who trust in Jesus. And one of the great things that we have been learning together from this book is the importance of God's people, those who trust in Christ, making Jesus known to others. That's why we are doing what we're doing here over this past week and this coming week in our community as a church in Connor. And one of the best known people in the book of Acts is a man called Paul. Paul was one of the first missionaries who told people the good news of Jesus. He was a leader in the church, but he wasn't always like that. The Bible tells us that before Paul hated the followers of Jesus, he wanted rid of them, but then he met with Jesus himself, and his life was changed forever as he put his trust in Christ. And from that point on, it became his ambition to tell other people the good news of Jesus. And because he took that so seriously, I guess you could say that Paul wasn't really a holiday kind of person, and yet here he was in the great city of Athens, waiting for his friends to join him, and he took the opportunity for a break. He really needed to catch his breath, and he took a tour of the city. But the thing about Paul is he never, ever took a holiday from sharing the good news of Jesus with others. And what he saw as he walked around the city of Athens made him even more determined to make Jesus known. And he was given his golden opportunity to talk about Jesus when he was invited to the Areopagus. Now, that was the place above the city of Athens, right up on a place called Morris Hill. And all the great thinkers of the city gathered there, and they debated new ideas, and they wanted to hear what Paul was all about. What was it that made this man tick? And today for a while, I want to think about the way in which Paul begins that message. I don't know why that's disappeared there. I don't know, Alan, I'll have a look at that down at the back, but don't worry about that. I want us to think about this message that Paul brought that day. And if you've got your Bibles with you, turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 17 and listen to what Paul says to them at the beginning of his talk. He says, men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. 
And I'm sure that if Paul came here today, that if Paul spent a bit of time walking around Kells and Connor, meeting with people, and then he came to address us this morning, this is what I'm convinced Paul would say. He would say, men of Connor, men of Kells, I see that in every way you are very religious people. And you might think to yourself, do you reckon, Philip, do you reckon that Paul would really say that? Because how are we religious? Yes, there was once a time when this part of the world was known as the Bible Belt. We had a revival that started in this very place in the past. But these days, can we say that people are religious? And you might say to me, Philip, I know you're a minister and I hate to burst your bubble, but look around you, work it out. Today, at church time, there are far, far, far more people in Kells and Connor staying away from church than coming to church. How could we be described as very religious people? But think about Paul's words. They sound like a compliment, don't they? It sounds like he's saying, you're really decent people. You're good people. You're religious. Paul was actually having a bit of a dig. And why did he say it? Well, look back at verse 16. Luke, the writer of this book, tells us that while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, that's his friends, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. You see, Athens was a city that was crammed full of idols. They were housed in temples and altars. And they showed where the people's allegiance lay. That these people lived for tiny, made-up gods. They gave their devotion to them instead of to the one true living God. And today, why would Paul call us very religious in that way? Why, if Paul was here, would he want to have a wee bit of a dig at us? Because you could say to me again, Philip, listen, we don't have statues around Kells and Connor that we're bowing down to. In fact, in the context of this service today and those who are gathered here today, we would probably say, you know, that's the problem with the other lot, them over there. They're the ones that bow down to statues. They're the ones that pray to Mary and all of that stuff. That's not my problem. That's not our problem. Well, our society might be changing, but we all have our religions, don't we? We all have our gods that we make more important than the one true living God. Think about some of the false gods that we have today. There's the God of identity, whether that's gender or geography. So that today, there are people who are obsessed with gender identity, and it's a big thing that is pushed at us all the time. And ultimately, it is worship of the God of self. It's someone saying, I will decide how people will look at me. I will decide what I will be like. I will decide how I will be referred to and identified as. 
And in this new orthodoxy, if you disagree, then you're a heretic. And you may not be burnt at the stake, but you'll be canceled. And as you hear that, you might say to me, Philip, don't worry about that. That's not my problem. All that woke stuff, that's not me. But what about this one? And men, listen to this. The God of national identity. Because here in our province, whether people identify it as being Ulster or Ireland, there are people and that is their God, their national identity. Their God is their country and their religion is republicanism or loyalism. It's nationalism or unionism. That sometimes we have on our banners and we are heard saying, for God and Ulster, as if the two have competing allegiance in our life. And I want to say that worship of these false gods can keep us from the one true living God and giving Him the worship that He alone deserves. I remember right at the beginning of starting out in ministry, working on a placement in a church in Lisbon, going to visit a man a number of times that summer. And he was a, a good man. We got on well. And he was dying of cancer. But you see, that was the summer of Drum Cree. And all that man could talk about and think about and give off about was Drum Cree. It was the only thing that was on his mind. When I tried to talk to him about his need of Jesus, his need of the gospel, it came back to Drum Cree. And then one day when I went to go and see him, he had passed away. Or what about the God of health and fitness? Many people who have given up on the church look for that community and significance and purpose elsewhere in the gym or on a park run. And some of the language of fitness people, it sounds kind of religious, doesn't it? They talk about or we talk about eating clean and cleansing our body. And yet Jesus says, it's not what goes into your body that makes you unclean. It's what is lying in your heart. They talk about conversion and change and a new start. And don't get me wrong, physical fitness is good. Exercise, it's good for the body and the mind as well. But it cannot be sustained forever. We know that one injury, one illness can bring it all crashing down. It is something that will never give us true satisfaction and permanent peace. And related to that, the God of sport. And again, isn't the language almost religious? We have our favorite football team and we talk about keeping faith with our team. We sing their praises. We talk about the greatest people of all time in sports as being sporting gods. And to that, we could add dozens and dozens of other false gods. Money, pornography, sex, alcohol, drugs, music, TV, computer games, smartphones, social media. The list could go on and on and on. And people's devotion to these idols is seen in the time and the money that they give to them. Some of these things are 
good in themselves. They are given to us by God to enjoy, as His Word tells us. Other things mentioned there are destructive and painful, and they will cause pain to us and those around us. But when any of these things becomes more important to me and you than the God who made us, then we are no longer living life in the way that it was designed to be lived, and there are consequences for us. Paul would say to us today, you're very religious. You have so many gods that you worship and you live for. And all the way through this so far, I've been talking about the one true living God, but how do we know who He is? In fact, how do we know Him? Well, that day in Athens, Paul made the most of his opportunity to share the good news about God and His Son, the Lord Jesus, so that in verse 23, he says to the people, as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Now, what was that all about? Well, these people in Athens were pagans, and they worshipped lots and lots of we made up gods. They had a God for everything. There was a God of sex and a God of money. There was a God of food and a God of culture. Every aspect and area of your life was covered by a God. But in their minds, they thought, but what if we have missed one out? What if there's a God out there somewhere who we don't know about and He gets angry? So in their minds, they made this altar. It was their insurance policy to keep themselves covered. But Paul took it as an opportunity for the gospel. He continues in verse 23, Now what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. And that's exactly what he does. Paul reveals who the one true living God is, what he's like, why we need his rescue, and how we find his rescue. And here's the amazing truth that the Bible reveals about God. And I would love you to think about this today, who this God is, that He is the Creator. Paul says in verse 24, He is the God who made the world and everything in it, so that everything didn't just appear by chance, Christ bang wallop, and everything was in place. It was made by Him and for Him. Not only that, God is the sustainer. Paul continues in verse 25, he gives everyone life and breath and everything else, so that everything that you have, including that last breath that you just took, that is from Him. It's because of Him. And if you really understood that, then we would be so much more grateful to God. But Paul continues and he says that God is the ruler. Verse 26, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands so that we could say today that history is his story. That while it seems that our world is in chaos, while it seems that countries and leaders do whatever they like, 
they are actually under his control. You might believe that there is a God somewhere out there, but that he's either uninterested or unable to help us in this world. But this is what the Bible reveals about God, that nothing takes him by surprise, that he even uses his enemies to bring about his purposes. That's far beyond anything that we can fully understand and imagine. And if we understood that, then we would surely fear God in the right way. And Paul continues that God is the Father. He says in verse 28 that we are His offspring. And let's think about that because this is so important in a world where you're bombarded with all kinds of messages to know that we are made in God's image. We're not just one step removed away from the animals. We've been created with dignity. We've been made with a sense of right and wrong. That's why the headlines over this weekend, what happened in England with that nurse? That's why what happened in our town of Ballymena earlier in the summer, we're rightly disgusted and horrified by that. Because we are made in God's image. More than that, we are made to be in relationship with Him. It's why you're here, not here in church, why you're here in the world, full stop. And if you're not in relationship with God, then that's why you feel that things are somehow not right, that your life is somehow incomplete. And then finally, he reveals that God is the judge. Verse 31, he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And it might surprise you today to hear that God will judge us and that we are subject to his judgment. If that's news to you, then that's partly on us. It's partly the fault of churches because churches don't speak about judgment as much these days. But the Bible talks a lot about judgment. Jesus, during his ministry, talked often about judgment. And I want you to know that God's judgment is, in fact, good news. Because imagine a world where evil didn't matter, where terrible things, like some of the things that we have alluded to today, went completely unpunished, that if somehow someone escaped justice from the police and the law here, that that was that. But God will judge those who have done such things, and He will judge all of us. Because none of us here, none of us have lived a perfect life of obedience to God, far from it. And therefore, the Bible says that we are deserving of His judgment. And if we understood that, then we would want to be right with God and ready to face His judgment. What is our hope if this is the truth? Well, look again at what Paul tells us about God's judgment. Who will do it? How will it come about? Look at verse 31. And he says that God will do it by the man he has appointed. That's Jesus. 
It's all about Jesus. So that the, the Lord Jesus who walked the earth before will return to this world and he will come again to be the judge of all people and he will do it with God's full authority and he will do it well. And here's the proof. Here is the proof that Jesus will come to be our judge and that he is qualified to be our judge. Paul says in verse 31 that God has given proof of this to everyone by raising Jesus from the dead. Jesus is the man who beat death. Jesus is the man who walked out of a tomb alive and well. And that shows the incredible power that God has and the incredible power that he has given to his son. So Paul explains who God is. He explains why we need his rescue and we finish with this. He tells us how we find that rescue of God. It's about what God has done for us. The gospel, this good news, is a message that before Jesus rose from the dead, he was put to death on a cross and he died an innocent man. Scripture reveals that Jesus always, always kept his father's laws. He always lived according to his father's will. Nobody else has obeyed perfectly as he did, and yet he died for us. He died taking our sin upon himself. He died to take the punishment that you and I deserve so that we could find forgiveness and face God's judgment. I want you to know today the only way, the only way you can stand before God and face the judgment that every one of us will be subject to is by trusting in Christ and receiving the rescue that He alone can give. What do we do about this? Let's finish with verse 30. God commands all people everywhere to repent. And that's a Bible word. It's a word that's gone out of vogue. It's a word that is so important. It's a word that I have needed and need to remember. And it's a word that you should think about as well. Turning away from sin. Turning away from the direction where we live on our terms in the way that we want to and turning back to God and His will and His Word. And here when Paul talks about it, it's specifically repentance for our, our idolatry, turning away from living for those false gods that we have made for ourselves and trusting in and living for the one true living God. People, whether you recognize it or not, whether you believe it or not, God is far more powerful. He is far bigger. He is far better than you and I can fully understand. He's given you life. He deserves your worship and your life. And He will judge you through His Son. And here's what our hope can be as we face that judgment. The one that he will send to judge 
is the one that he sent to save. Jesus died for you, and he took your sin so that you can face God's judgment and be saved. So let's not live to serve we false made-up gods. They may be special to you and special to me, whatever your God is. But as much devotion as you give to that God, when you die, that God will be able to do nothing for you at all. Nothing. Turn to the one true living God and make His Son Jesus, the one He has appointed to be our perfect judge, your Savior. And if you believe that God has been speaking to you today, don't let that pass by. Don't walk back down the street or march back down the street or drive away without thinking about that more. And I would be glad to speak to you later on. You know where I live, down opposite Kells Church. And just come and see me. Find out from some of my numbers. Speak to me. Because this God is a great God. And he's a God who we should live for with all of our heart. Amen.